Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Tim Wood is the co-founder of Aquilus Energy. After a successful career in marine engineering, Tim and his co-founder were inspired to sign a better system for creating renewable energy. They set out to harness hydrokinetic energy, aka the free-flowing water in rivers. Because rivers are constantly flowing, it's a very efficient way to produce energy and cost-effective compared to current methods. Their platform provides clean renewable energy with no negative impact on the environment, and they've initially focused on working in developing countries to power local communities. In this episode, Tim chats about the state of renewable energy, what needs to happen to transition to net zero, successfully building their first prototype, how to create scalable clean energy, and their plans for expansion. Hey Tim, great to have on the show today. How are you? Very good, thanks Craig. Yeah, lovely to be here. It's my uh, my first podcast, so delighted to be talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, I'll, yeah, I'll take it easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. So, um, yeah, I always like to kind of start from the same place, which is asking the guests to share a little bit about like quick kind of background uh, about yourself, your career, um, and, and more importantly, I guess, sharing like your, your spark or motivation for, for building a, a business in the impact space, which for you, it's obviously the renewable energy sector. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I always say I've actually become an entrepreneur by accident, uh, more by accident than by design, certainly. Uh, I, I'm an engineer by background. Um, and uh, in fact, my university degree was uh, naval architecture, so ship design. Um, so sort of marine engineering has always been my thing. Um, I also say also that my sort of moral trajectory has has gradually improved or significantly <laughs> improved over time. My my first job actually out of uni was um, designing uh, warships. I was working in the sort of uh, defence sector there. Uh, it was actually quite an interesting time. It was just after September the 11th. Actually, it was quite difficult to get engineering jobs at the time. The country had sort of shut down. Um, so I just took the first thing that was available to me and had actually a very enjoyable four years working in the defence industry here. But um, I then sort of morphed that into oil and gas. Um, so moving as well from sort of Bristol area to London, I wanted to be based in London. Uh, and oil and gas, I guess, slightly better than warships, but not much better. Um, but again, a good, <laughs> a good, a good fun uh, time I had. And I was working a lot offshore, actually. So it's offshore oil and gas um, engineering, um, working for a, a London-based consultancy that uh, I ended up um, becoming uh, managing director of. Um, and my current business partner was technical director of that business as well. So um, we sort of jumped ship together, as it were in 2017 to start up um, Achilles, uh, which is the company we're working for now. Um, and we actually started Achilles as a, as a consultancy business. That was what we knew. Um, and we sort of morphed into becoming a renewable energy technology developer in 2019. Uh, and as I say, it was more by sort of accident than design, just the way the career path took us and, and, and the jobs we were doing and the fact that... Um, you know, after after starting and scraping around as a consultancy and seeing loads of wacky renewable energy designs, we just ended up, you know, driving home from one particular meeting 
Uh, and on the M4 in the car, we're just like, we could do this. This can't be that hard. We could make something that would be better. So uh, that's what we did. Um, and so that's how we sort of fell into uh, renewable energy technology development. So um, that's that's the sort of the start of the story uh, at leading us on to where we are now. Nice. And I'm going to, I guess, kind of pause that that story for a second. Um, Because I always like to, especially for me as well, like, I don't know too much about the energy space, actually. So like, really keen to explore and just understand a bit more about what's going on right now. Um, And I guess starting with some really basic high level stuff. um, But like, um, I guess when it comes to energy sources, there's two main types, right? There's renewable and non-renewable. And um, the difference in the two is obviously that non-renewable energy sources are finite, like we are going to run out of those. Is that fair? Yeah, I get. I guess at its most base level, yes, I, I guess that's true. There are sort of some hinterland um, sources as well, uh, which could get classified one way or the other, depending on personal leanings. Uh, the, the two very clear ones, as you said, are sort of fossil fuel um, generated power and and renewably um, generated power, uh, and then you also have things like nuclear, which sort of fit somewhere in the middle. You know, again. You know, there is a lot of resource there. It's not without its issues. It's not, you know, some people definitely don't class it as renewable. <laughs> some people definitely do. Um, and it, and, it, and it's all about, I guess, a sort of a holistic, um, sustainability, um, aspect. I think, I think for, for, for our, from, from a personal perspective, we look at the renewable sector, not including, um, nuclear really. Uh, in terms of the sustainable we want to be creating energy that is as sustainable as possible and with as few environmental impacts as possible so that's the sort of space that we we've set ourselves in and that's always what's really sort of energized us in our thinking um and our sort of development of the company really and i i read something uh recently it was from a source like from 2022 so fairly fairly recent which i think was it's still like globally 80 percent of all energy used is coming still from fossil fuels so it's like as a as a as humanity we're still heavily reliant on um fossil fuel as like our main energy sources um which one is going to run out but also it's, it's like you said there's an environmental impact there as well i would hope everyone would know the reasons but again just to, just to be like i guess idiot proof for me as well can you just explain like the harm that fossil fuels actually do to the planet like why they're so bad for the planet yeah, absolutely. I mean, as enjoyable as our extremely warm summer was in places uh, last year, and it is it, the, the you know the sort of shift in global temperatures is just absolutely undeniable now. And I say that having worked in the oil and gas industry for over a decade myself, and hearing um, so much misinformation, disinformation, um, and sort of justification uh, used even throughout my time. Um, which ended, you know, over five years ago in that sector. But you know, you know, the Earth is warming up, the ice caps are melting, um, and, and and fossil fuels are, are are really have been driving that for the last thirty plus years. Um, and the, the evidence base is absolutely undeniable now, um, despite the best efforts of some of the industries to, to as I say, misdirect that information. But um, yeah, it is it really just absolutely imperative that we that we make this transition across to renewable sources of energy? And there's so many ways of doing it. You know, we we as a company are, are focused particularly on marine renewables and and one type of marine renewable ourselves. But all of the renewable energy. Um, sectors need to be used as much as possible and they all serve different 
locations, different sizes of of, of um, off taker, things like that. So it's um, yeah, it's it's just such an imperative now. We're pretty evangelical about it, so <laughs> I won't keep banging on. But it, you know, the transition <laughs> has to happen, and it has to happen really very fast. So. 100%. And and um, to talk about like renewable energy sources a bit, again, a bit more, um, there's marine or like hydropower, I guess, there's solar, wind, geothermal, and depending where you land on, on the on the scale, potentially nuclear as well. Um, what, what's like, what's most advanced? Like what's, what's most commonly used in terms of renewable energy sources? What's like advanced most in terms of like accessibility technology? Yeah, it tends to, I mean, wind and solar are the two big ones, uh, obviously. Um, and that is... Two things which are sort of interconnected, I guess. One is time in the market, um, and the other then is therefore investment. You'll find that certainly private investment, commercial investment, tends to follow the lowest possible risk um, technologies. Um, that's the way they, they, those sort of cycles work. Um, and, yeah, wind and solar, by far and away, the most dominant um, sources of, of, of energy that are being exploited at the moment um and to the extent that wind of course you know it doesn't automatically make sense to be putting windmills off you know floating windmills offshore when there's different types of technology that could be used isn't terribly obvious at first glance but of course you know from from an investment perspective the idea that windmills have been so de-risked over the last 30 plus years, then, you know, it sort of makes sense from that sort of trying to minimise the risk for capital investment. Um, so they're the two, they're the two big drivers. But um, of course, they're, they're limited in terms of, of the energy that they're able to output. You know, the, the wind isn't always blowing and the sun isn't always shining. So there are some limitations with those two. Yeah, and that was going to be actually my next kind of point was like from a very simplistic view, which is mine. Yeah, the sun doesn't always shine; it's not guaranteed. Neither is the wind. Whereas something like uh, you know running rivers, unless there's like huge droughts or something very extreme that happens, the rivers will always run. So you'd think that that would be something that was an avenue that would be explored first or like kind of prioritised. Is there a different reason why rivers, as as a specific example, that like, hasn't been like uh, explored? that much like until now yeah it's a very good question and one that we constantly ask <laughs> constantly <laughs> try, try and tell people about um I, obviously hydropower traditional hydropower is is the biggest renewable energy source uh, exploited in the world um and um that 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 has been going for over 50 years uh now as well at, at very large scale the, the way that's been conducted as 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 as, you, as you'll know the sort of building of large dams to create big reservoirs and then cyclically those reservoirs are drained out through big turbines in the dams so it's not a constant power source but it's a very reliable power source and of course rivers are are located everywhere there's lots of very very large rivers around the world um, that are always flowing uh, and population centres across the globe are base themselves near rivers and, and have done since time time immemorial. So, um, you know, the idea of using rivers for power is 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 an absolute no-brainer. It, it has been done up until now at this sort of very large scale um, in order to compete as much as anything with the price of fossil fuels, things like that, you know, trying to get down to a price point. Actually, very large hydro um, projects um, on very large rivers make the most sense commercially. 
um, in terms of that sort of competitive market with with hydrocarbons and the price point there. But um, you know, there, there's such an enormous niche outside of that for using a, a different technology, which is this hydrokinetic, so using the flow of the river itself rather than the sort of volume of river built up and then drained, built up and then drained. You just use the flowing kinetic energy of the river, and that's what our device does. And as you say, that then allows you to produce power constantly, um, and it sort of sets it aside from, from nearly all of the other renewable energy sources in that way that you can constantly be producing. Um, and it, it, it's like all things. It's not the only source that should be used. Uh, everything needs to be used as <laughs> um, to its maximum effect. But it's, it's a very powerful addition into the mix of, of everything else, um, alongside all the other all the other ones. And of course, it doesn't have the terrible environmental impacts that traditional hydro has associated with it, you know, these large dams and the sort of displacement of floodplains and, and disruption of ecosystems, all that sort of thing. Again, going back to that sort of, you know, holistic sustainability picture, um, that you can use rivers in better ways. That's our, that's our real our real push. And I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out next a little bit, but I just wondered, like, in, in your, <laughs> you're like, oh no, what's he going to ask me now? Um, but you know, looking looking ahead, if it's like from a UK perspective, European perspective, um, if if we look at like what you think is going to play out in the next decade, like, how do you think, um, you know, energy energy consumption, the sources that we're using, is going to change? Like, what trends are you are you hoping or expecting to see? Yeah, well, there's two two things there, I guess. One is consumption, um, and there's a brilliant. Um, I saw a, a brilliant sort of meme thing where he said that at the moment, the average uh, UK human um, uses enough energy every day to cook 80 pieces of toast. Um, but by 2035, that'll be 120 pieces of toast. Uh, so just just the nature of, of, of our sort of reliance on technology, things like that, just pushing our energy consumption up and up and up. Um, and so that's, that's a significant factor, you know, 50% in the next 10, 12 years. Um, and that has to be serviced by energy sources that aren't kicking out carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So, uh, you know, wind, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that the government has finally reversed its decision not to allow any more onshore wind farms, all that sort of nonsense. You know, wind needs to be maximised. Uh, and in terms of investment, the current investment, there's a lot of investment going into offshore wind. I think we'll see that happening more and more. Um, and tidal for the UK, definitely. We have huge tidal resource. Um, and again, you know, just more recently within the last year, 18 months, they, you know, there's been allocated costs put aside to help stimulate the um, tidal industry from a governmental perspective so um contracts for difference where you get paid um, a premium for developing tidal energy and i think there's there's a number of really amazing uk tidal developers um and hopefully they're going to start seeing the benefits of all their hard work over the last 10 years where they've been developing these great devices um and we'll start seeing more and more of that going into the ocean you know that's that's not a hundred percent you know, all the time producing, um, given the sort of movement of the tides, but it is a hundred percent consistent in terms of its predictability. You get defined periods every day where you're producing, and that is absolutely critical in terms of trying to come up with a, a system that balances energy need versus production. 
um, and balancing energy production versus storage, I guess, and consumption. So, yeah, wind, a bit of solar. I, I, I'm I, I'm quite down on solar for the UK. Uh, my dad would be cross because he's got solar panels on his house. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, solar has a place, and it and and globally, uh, it most certainly does have a place. Um, whether it's it's not the golden bullet for the UK for sure, but wind, tidal, and um, and hopefully hydrokinetic as well. We've got lots of good rivers um, around the UK. Um, and we're actually just starting um, to try and assess some of that work now. We've been working in, in sort of offshore climbs mostly up until this point, but um, there, it would be great to be doing something here here in the UK as nice. well. And um, you kind of touched on a little bit, but I guess last question kind of on this generally before we talk about Achilles is like in terms of the, the key levers that we have um, to accelerate like the transition to like more renewable energy sources – as a business owner in the space, like what what are some of the biggest blockers or accelerators for you? Like, is it is it is it like investment and funding going to businesses? Is it is it like government policy and legislation? Like, what what would make the biggest change? Yeah, but both of those uh, you've hit the, the two the two key ones. I think legislation. Um, we're we're pretty good, I think, in terms of legislating for net zero here overall. I mean, I'm sure there'll, there'll be people who say we could do more, and we absolutely could do more. But uh, from a global perspective, when you look at it globally, um, the UK does quite well um, from a legislature point of view, um, and, and from a support point of view, the, the UK government puts a lot of effort into funding energy development and innovation in energy. Um, development, uh, which we've been huge benefactors from. So sort of projects like the the Innovate UK Energy Catalyst projects, things like that, um, you know, a huge source of grant funding and incredibly valuable to startups like my own. Um, and that really, um, I think, sort of comes in then to the point about investment and private investment. The, the space all renewable energy and sort of innovative renewable energy um, technology relies very heavily on private investment to come into these companies, to build them, to to get prototypes built, to sort of advance a concept through to commercialization. Uh, and that is a very tricky space to operate in. And it's a tricky, it's a tricky uh, thing. If you because investment, as a, as we mentioned before, is is traditionally so risk averse. The idea of trying to mix innovation into that is a very difficult ask. People want innovation with no risk, which is basically impossible. Um, and and as a result, the investment space is is, is quite hard to to navigate. You need to find yourself the right investors, and we've been very lucky um, to date to find um, investors who who are very like minded and who have a, a good technological understanding so they can make a qualified risk assessment themselves about um, what the likelihood is of a technology being successful um, and so but that is really you know that sort of stimulus it, it's a bit chicken and egg really but as the government puts more money into grant funding programs actually you find that stimulates the private investment market more someone else is you know the government then ostensibly is doing technical due diligence on lots of these companies by awarding their grant funding and private investment is then uh, then feels a, a sort of greater level of comfort to come in off the back of it and that's uh, that's really you know where we've been where we've been operating mostly up until now really 
Cool. So I'll uh, stop quizzing you about energy uh, and let's talk about <laughs> Aquilus. <laughs> um, so yeah, could, just for the listeners, can you explain uh, you know, what the business does, what, what your product is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you've got two hours, yeah, because I'm a fa- I'm a company founder, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, no. So we we as we touched on, we 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 design renewable energy technology that really harnesses river flow. Um, and actually, my nine year old daughter, as she was then, summarised it best. We we sort of make floating water mills. That's the that's the that's the simplest way of, of explaining it. Um, our, our unit is a, is a sort of a, a trimaran vessel, three hulled vessel, and it suspends two underwater turbines between the hulls, uh, and that's sort of moored statically in a river. And the water, as it flows past, just drives those turbines, and that's how the energy is created. So it's quite a simple system. Um, we've added some some additional sort of complexities uh, in there to sort of try and, and up the efficiency of that system. But it's, you know, our system particularly, as I say, my, my business partner and I had worked in in offshore, you know, engineering for so long, and we had been offshore ourselves and gone and installed things offshore for much of our, our career in oil and gas. And one thing you realise very quickly is you put things in water and they just get absolutely knackered. You know, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's the long and short of it. It is putting 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 technology, complex technology, in the water is actually quite a difficult thing to do if you want any sort of longevity. And you have to therefore make it as robust as possible, as simple as possible, um, and and really look to um, building technology that you can maintain and operate easily um and that is really where the focus has been that's that's i guess our usp is coming from a very hands-on experience of putting things in the sea is then designing something to go in the water that will be there in the next 20 years 40 years 60 years yeah um, because that's where you need to get to with this type of technology again to compete on the price points um, and things like that and you know that's the other key investment ask is that your technology is be, is able to produce um energy cheaply from early on um which is a slightly unfair ask you know because none of the other renewable energy uh technologies had to do that right from the off but um but of course now give, given the marketplace and the, and the market environment and the competition with with fossil fuels that's 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 one of the key key factors so that's yeah. that's really how we based um, our technology, and that's and 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 that's what Aquilus is, is focused on is really delivering uh, a very robust project product uh, and cheap power, but also uh, uh, you know the other key thing for us is scalability. You know we we the the power demands across the globe change so much from country to country. Um, in terms of what they are trying to achieve, you know, so many countries in the, in um, Southeast Asia and Africa are just trying to achieve energy access at the moment. Not all of their citizens have access to power um, or any access to power, with huge tracts of them. Um, and um, so that's that's a huge problem, and that's actually one of the first things that we're we're addressing with our technology. That's the space that we're working in. But as you scale up, of course, you know, then there's the global perspective that we've been talking about now, which is net zero and, and all um, the nations of the world generating their power 100% renewably. Um, and, and so as we scale, you know, the business, we also will be scaling our technology to sort of address that that market as well. Nice. And um, 
I guess going well actually a question for you is I did does this technology exist when you start like when you when you did that kind of like like pivot let's call it in 2019 when you had this meeting and you decided actually this is what we should be focused on was the technology like did it exist at that point or are you building something that didn't actually exist before then but there was just a need and a problem yeah that is a good question there were offerings um there were there were hydrokinetic offerings um in the marketplace um they tended to be very small scale so it tended to be if you had a stream going through your back garden you could put put one of these things in um or if you were a, a very specific energy offtaker looking at you know small offtake requirements um in 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 energy access um nations that you would pop one of these things in but they'd be small small scale small energy development and we could see the need for a device that was actually producing hydrokinetic power on a larger scale um so that's sort of where we stepped into the marketplace our technology the way it looks is slightly different from much of the other similar technology i guess uh, everyone's familiar with the way windmills look and a lot of underwater technology be it tidal or or, or, or river looks like an underwater windmill um, it's that type of turbine that horizontal axis turbine um and that's not the greatest in our opinion technology layout for rivers particularly where you often have quite shallow environments uh, and you often have flow speeds that aren't um quite as high in lots of rivers so you need a different technology so our, our turbine type is 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 different it's a sort of a vertical axis technology so um I, the way i always describe <laughs> that is for those who've been traveling around the m25 um around junctions 10 or 12 you still see these weird helical structures on top of buildings or along that sort of stretch of the motorway uh, and they're actually wind devices but they're vertical axis turbines so they they turn or they they spin around a vertical axis not a horizontal axis and that's what we've used for our technology if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies from climate change to social impact to green transport you'll be able to find the perfect job for you Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. And trying to keep this as simple for me as possible, but like in terms of like <laughs> energy output, like how how does um, what you've built compare to like other renewable energy sources out in the marketplace? Is, is it like comparable, cheaper, better? Comparable, cheaper, better. Um, yes, all of all of the above. We we, we hope um, it, it, everything comes down to. It, it, so many people compare energy sources in different ways, and it's installed capacity and all those. But really, one of the fundamental things, as we discussed, is how how much time during a day or a year you're producing energy. So for solar, say, you're actually probably producing um, energy 17% of the time, 16 17% of the time in a year. Um, so a, a, a two-megawatt solar installation is not the same as a two-megawatt hydrokinetic installation where you'd expect to be producing, if not 100% of the time, then certainly 80 plus percent of a year so um we've sized our units to uh, our, our sort of our prototype unit 
although it's a 200 kilowatt nominally um, device, um, that will power up to a thousand houses in the developing world in a year. So, and the energy cost wow. is comparable. Um, certainly, yeah, the, at the moment, in terms of localized diesel generation, which is the the other option for energy access um, out in lots of places. That comes in between sort of 25 and 35 American cents per a kilowatt hour. And we're down at around 10 or 12 cents. So just to give a sort of comparison there between between half and a third of that sort of that sort of market. So um, yeah, a, a pretty aggressive price point. And again, it goes back to this resource, this constant resource, and the fact that we're able to constantly output power. So that also changes your cost metrics quite a lot and allows you a good price point. On to a winner. <laughs> um, <laughs> on to a winner. That's all we tell everyone. <laughs> um, on, on the other side of things, like in terms of like any potential drawbacks, like I guess two things I wanted to ask about. One was like going back to your points about the sustainability and like environmental impact that some other sources have. Um, like, is there any like detrimental impacts on like life and rivers at all? And the second point is more about like, are there any restrictions in sense of like, do you just need rivers of a certain size velocity for it to work, or is that the only real restriction? But then most countries will have rivers that will meet that kind of requirement anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been a good learning experience for us. I think sort of intrinsically, we have always just sort of felt like there are lots of rivers and lots of river resource. Um, and we ended up having some conversations, uh, particularly with a couple of investors who ended up coming back and, and saying they were unconvinced about the potential for river resource, um, which sort of amazed us. And we thought, well, hang on a minute, we should we should probably do some work here <laughs> and, and, and size it. And so we, we, we've combined with um, a couple of chaps from, um, uni- from uh, some of the UK universities uh, looking at sort of global hydrokinetic resource and, and, and hydrokinetic resource even just in the UK. And it is absolutely phenomenal. You know, as I said, our technology – um, the sort of vertical axis turbines, they energize at quite low flow speeds. So a flow speed of around, you know, half a meter a second will get uh, get one of those turbines turning. Um, and actually then, the, you know, the, um, the number of rivers that have flow speed of above half a meter a second is absolutely phenomenal. The, the way the industry works and, it's the, and, and sort of tidal industry works, most... Um, devices that you see when you see a rated power it, it, it's usually specified for a, f- a water flow speed of three meters a second or above and there are definitely you know it makes good sense especially for tidal and tidal in the uk you know there's there's flow speeds of up to five meters a second um in 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 the uk and 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 globally um and so we did it we did a quick assessment to see you know, just how many rivers around the world would um, be flowing at three meters a second, and it's over a million kilometers of river across the world. So uh, we worked uh, twenty-five times round the Earth. If you just had one river going around there, that you could put uh, energy, de- you know, river kinetic devices on and have a flow speed of over three meters a second. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that. That's really. Um, where our technology, you know, looks, we're 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 optimizing our technology really to look between two and three meters a second and give ourselves an even bigger market. But there are just there's just such enormous river resource, and because the technology is scalable, we don't necessarily need um, huge wide rivers. We can sort of 
have duplicate turbines up and down stretches of river and actually used really quite small rivers. So um, we're also currently looking at sort of super localized solution even now, actually. We're about to go out to uh, Cambodia and look at sort of single house sized generation units for rivers out there. Oh, wow. Cool. And uh, I guess I was going to come back to you next, but it's like um, you were saying that you know, there was some technology that existed when you back in 2019 when you look at this, but nothing that was like kind of scalable, commercially viable, um, that did everything that kind of people needed. And I believe like your your first prototype was one that you built in Myanmar. Um, obviously, a location around the other side of the world. I, I don't know. Like it'd be great to hear a bit more about that experience. Like how are you building? So- like are you building something in the UK that's then transported over, or are you building over there? And you know what? What went to plan? What didn't quite go to plan with that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Myanmar. Uh, <laughs> I can safely say almost nothing went to plan uh, with Myanmar. <laughs> an, an amazing country. So uh, I, I guess going back to to the sort of grant funding aspect um here we, we realized early on that, that grant funding was going to be imperative for us uh, in terms of developing our technology and in terms of of livening um a sort of private investment base so um we applied in 2019 for an energy a, U, um, a uk government uh, innovate uk energy catalyst grant and were successful there and those energy catalyst grants Fantastic, and they and they are particularly concerned with the energy access space, so the supply of energy um, in developing nations to people who don't have any power at all. Um, and that was something that really resonated with myself and my business partner during our oil and gas days. We'd worked in and around Southeast Asia predominantly um, throughout that time. Um, and oil and gas, you know, famously really as an industry, is an industry that is very careless about the places in which it operates around the globe. And we'd seen the incredible energy poverty around um, various places in Southeast Asia. So, um, w- you know, firsthand, we, we had a real um, desire to, to go and work in that space. Um, and and this, these, this Energy Catalyst Grant program matched that absolutely perfectly. Um, we selected Myanmar uh, back in 2019. It was on it was on the list of applicable countries for the grant. Sixty um, percent of the population in Myanmar has no access to power. It's an incredible percentage. It's one of the highest in the world, um, and the country itself is is also absolutely huge and has some unbelievably massive rivers flowing through it. So, from our perspective, it just seemed like the golden ticket at the time um and you know for, to, in, in terms of building things um in foreign parts again oil oil and gas and our backgrounds we had spent a lot of time doing design work in the uk and then fabricating elsewhere in, in the uk as well but also in shipyards across asia so we weren't phased at all by building in myanmar and in fact we um Combined, you know, for our grant pro- grant program, we actually com- uh, partnered with a Myanmarese a Burmese um, shipyard to build our device out there. So, so, so that's what we did. Um, and of course, you know, I think we kicked that project off on the first of April, twenty twenty. So, COVID had just hit. Um, the world was going bonkers, um, and um, we were very lucky to have good good relationship with this um, shipyard in in Myanmar who who worked under you know minimal supervision from ourselves outputted a brilliant quality project uh, product um 
And then just so sadly, you know, a year after that, February 2021 was when the military coup uh, occurred there. So we were just scheduled to go out there, start traveling back there for the first time. And uh, and, and that that was put uh, put a stop to as well. But um, despite those impediments, I, I guess if you have good working relationships with people in different countries, you can. It's incredible what you can achieve. You know, we we built a, a full size device. You know, it's a twenty six meter long, twenty meter across steel hull and generation. You know, unit um, all built remotely in Myanmar, tested. Um, we did actually end up flying out to do the testing um which a lot of which we did at the start of this year 2020 oh sorry last year 2022 um and um yeah you know it, it was it's been a struggle uh, i won't lie we had a good market lined up in myanmar as well instantaneously for after that sort of proof of concept which of course now is just not commercially viable um which is a shame because you know the energy access issues in that country have only got worse with the coup so it's it's a, it's a, it's a great shame from that perspective, and we hope that we'll be doing some work out there again in the future once things settle down and change politically. But uh, in the meantime, we've had to pivot, uh, like all like all self-respecting startups, <laughs> constantly pivoting. Uh, and actually, now we're looking at um, at Nepal. So uh, we've got a pilot project that will start hopefully uh, this month, actually, um, in Nepal, um, a, a similar size unit, and again providing energy to a completely off-grid community of people there um which will make a you know just a transformational difference to those people's lives you know there's there's the energy part of it but but really also as soon as you have energy you're empowered to do so much more um basic things like water filtration uh, and water pumping uh and and you can sort of really stimulate an area in terms of its um industry and economic growth and all that sort of things you know the, the place we're looking at has incredible arable land but not enough energy to irrigate it so the minute where you can put some power there and start pumping irrigation water they've got an agricultural industry waiting there to, to start having and pulling these people out of poverty so it's you know you can really make an incredible difference and that's you know that's what drives us 100 percent. and um i guess that yeah, I want to chat to you a bit about kind of like the the kind of commercial and like revenue model. Now, now you've shown you've you've built one already, and, and obviously lining up the next one in Nepal. Um, what you know, who who is like the target customer? Like, are you selling to the government? So, and then in terms of like, do they do they buy the platform that you're building, or is it more of like they rent it from you and you deal with like all the ongoing like maintenance and and stuff? Like, how does it work? Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good question. And it's uh, different for every single energy developer, uh, depending on where they're operating and their type of technology. Uh, it, it's been a big learning curve for us. Um, and we, we've sort of only really nailed it down, I guess, in the last year or so. But um, certainly for us, um, there, we will be selling our technology to begin with. So single unit projects. We'll just be selling one of our units into energy access projects. Um, and for us, we, you know, it's a sale of technology model to start with. Um, definitely in Nepal, sort of 97% of the energy, uh, you know, off-grid energy projects that go on there are done that way, where, in fact, it's a heavily government-subsidized activity. Um, the government pays, I think, up to 90% of uh, mini-grid and energy generation infrastructure 
um, through subsidy things to a local community. Um, and then the local community can raise that extra 10% of funding, usually from aid funds, foreign aid funds as well. So, and, and the model there is very much a, they purchase the technology um, and then also usually purchase sort of operations and maintenance contracts for us to look after that unit after thereafter. So that's, that's the start for us. Um, and as we grow, then our customer base I think changes our market changes. You know, we're looking to do projects in more developed countries. Um, you know, there are, there are lots of countries around the world with significant renewable energy targets. New Zealand is a, is a very big one. Um, you know, they want to be 100% renewable energy generation by 2035, which doesn't give them a huge amount of time. And they're very they're pursuing renewable energy projects very aggressively. And and of course, there then you're looking. We'd be looking at producing multiple units um, and actually the, the business model changes then and that sort of scenario we would be owning and operating our units and we would be selling electricity to um, either um, government agencies um, but in, in New Zealand mostly commercial entities as sort of a national electrical commercial entity there that we would look to sell our power to and that's it's a, it's a matter of scale and location really as to, as, as to the model so we start small with sale of technology and of course that brings some benefits of course investment wise i think that's that's eis qualifying whereas um actually sale of energy at, at, at the other end is not eis qualifying so it's another interesting nuance <laughs> that again we've learned about <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, it, like looking forward to the like, next like two, three years for Aquila's, obviously you mentioned so there, like focus on some some more developed countries, focus on some more opportunities that may be like higher scale, different commercial models. Like what, what are the things have you got planned in the roadmap that you're, you're really excited about? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the scalability of the tech. We get, we're engineers and and we're sort of pretty geeky, so we get we get highly excited about the, the actual technology. Um, and we've been knocking up some prototypes in the office, which has been great fun in the week leading up to Christmas. But really, uh, I, I think you know it's about markets for us and, and market penetration. We're really keen to be doing something here in the UK, uh, and we're lucky enough that our lead investor is hugely supportive of that and is also um, has, has some great contacts and, and connections in the UK energy sector. So we're, we're really excited to be doing something here in the UK, rolling that out this year. Um, and then the sort of development of our markets, you know, the, the development of our existing market in Nepal. I mean, Nepal's just an incredible place to visit, um, and we're looking forward to going back there. Uh, and the market opportunity for similar sort of energy access projects in Nepal is huge for us. Um, but again, as, as I mentioned earlier on, Cambodia, lots of Southeast Asia, um, Cambodia, there's great opportunity there for single unit energy access uh, and and developing. The sort of larger scale stuff, so um, New Zealand um, and the US. The US is, is one of those places. It's, it's again a tricky commercial landscape to navigate for sure. Um, we have some good connections um, there, but um, the river resource in the US is absolutely unbelievable, off the charts. They could be producing so much of their power from hydrokinetic. 
um, energy. So we're yeah keen to try and develop all these things. Uh, we just run out of time. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> we need we need five of us. <laughs> well, I was going to say. I mean, you know, it's, it's still a pretty lean team at the moment. Is something else you're going to start looking at? It's like expanding out that team that you have, so you can start to to do more stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we just grew, grew the team actually at the start of this year, and we'll be growing the team uh, a bit more um, later on in the year. Um, we have uh, another fundraise coming up uh within the next sort of six months three to six months um and that you know part of that funding will be will be used to um grow the team especially sort of widen our commercial reach really and and sort of marketing engagement reach um and and that's you know that that's an exciting time for us um uh, lots of good travel opportunity and lots of just engagement with new markets um and now it's we're just we're in such a good time for this type of technology you know the timing is right everybody is is energized to be talking about this this type of technology and they want to you know be be growing their portfolios in renewable energy so um yeah it's we're we're we're, we're well timed luckily timed <laughs> definitely it's exciting um and so, uh, to just chat to you a little bit now, actually, just like more you as a person, as a founder. Um, I know this isn't the first time you mentioned you'd been MD of a business before, but I imagine a very different type of business. I, I was keen to see, like, you know, what what are you noticed the big differences about how you have to operate, or just things that you've learned from running like the previous business versus a startup like Aquilas. <laughs> it's a big change. <laughs> it's yeah. a huge change. I'm sure everybody who comes on uh, your podcast it, it says the same. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, it's um, we'll, we, uh, there's a couple of things in there. I mean, I, I think, as I said, we sort of became entrepreneurial by accident. Um, so it's felt very organic, our, our sort of our shift um in terms of our of our offering and our business offering the the decision to leave oil and gas was a very um sort of emotionally fueled one i guess um just felt right to both myself and my business partner at the time you know and it was it, it it almost wasn't conscious it we just both got to a point where we realized it wasn't the industry we wanted to be working in um and that was very um happy in terms of the fact that we were both at that point because i think to set up a business with two people is considerably easier than with one some of the other guests who you've had on i've heard them say the same thing and i would just echo that definitely in the words of winnie the pooh it is much friendlier with two um you know it's just it really, it really is, and it makes an enormous difference. And especially if you can set up a, um, a business with someone who you've worked with a lot before, trust imp- implicitly. It just makes things very different, and it makes the whole process easier and, uh, as I say, just friendlier, happier process. Um, running, you know, running your own business and and going from um, running a, a, a sort of much bigger company which had quite a large capital reserve to uh, running your own business which has zero or negative <laughs> capital reserve uh, you know that's that's a big transition as well um, and uh, you've got to be doing something that you want to be doing that's the that's the that's the key um, and we're lucky enough for that to be the case for us you know because you do take you know the penalties are on your time and certainly financial is a huge financial knock um and but you know it's so much more fulfilling if you can if you can be doing what you want to be doing um 
and you can be genuine. You know, for us, you know, making a a, a demonstrable difference. You know, whereas, why else would you get out of bed in the morning? That's that's the that's the that's the way to do it. Um, and and so that that has been the change really for for me. I, that waking up in the morning and and just being excited to go to work. I never thought I would ever have that. I used to listen to you know trite sounding guys on podcasts saying, "Man, you got to do what you love," uh, and thinking, "Oh, sort off, you've got to earn some money and pay the rent <laughs> and all the rest of it." Uh, and and actually, yeah, to to be in a position where we're actually doing something we love and we can we can keep a roof over our heads that that's just uh, that's been a massive massive change. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, again, I, I joked about it at the beginning, the sort of moral trajectory. It feels good to be doing good work, helping people. You know, it's, you know, there's there's the altruism to it all, but there's you know, it feels good. Just intrinsically feels good, and that has been a huge difference. Um, uh, a very positive difference, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. I mean, I guess all all, all founders are the same. I, I listen to all the the um, sort of podcasts and the uh, read a load of books and looked at YouTube clips of other founders, you know, Bezos and and all those other guys. Um, and the, the the only good bit of advice was if you, if you think you've got a good idea, you've just got to keep going by hook or by crook. And I think um, you, if you've got that belief, um, and you can, and 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 you have, you know, you can just hang on by any means necessary. You do get there in the end, and that and that has been our experience for sure. Yeah, <laughs> some dicey times yeah. for sure, but uh, yeah, but uh, but here we are, and and it feels, you know, it feels now like we're really, you know, a, a sort of inflection point in the curve. So hopefully, accelerating from here. No, thanks, Sharon. And, and you know, I have the privilege of chatting to founders that are running like Impact and Tech for Good Businesses, and you can always tell, like as soon as they start talking about the impact their product has on on the users or on a community, uh, that's something so authentic and and so like heartwarming. You, you can't get that feeling from from just making money. Uh, and when you were chatting earlier about like the the impact of like giving energy access to these communities and knock on impact that then has on their like local industries and something that they can like empowering them to go and do things becoming like more sustainable. Um, yeah, I don't think anything can really match up to that. Uh, no amount of money. Um, so I'd, yeah, totally get it. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we just need the we just need the investment uh, base to sort of to catch up with it, sort of um, self realization. I guess that's the that's thing. We did we did a crowdfund actually um, at the end of 2021, and that was a very sort of affirming experience. So I re- we really enjoyed it, and and actually it is incredibly reassuring um, to understand the sort of huge feeling um i mean at the, at the time is it, it, it was a, it was a uk crowdfund so nationally but people really care about this type of technology and they really care about doing things for good and even if they're not working directly in um they, you know industries that are working towards climate change or, or, or sort of impact industries that people wanted to be doing something towards it and and the number of messages we had from people who were investing you know a tenner or you know whatever it was just you know that they're not looking for commercial return they're looking to do something good and that was really it was it was really great and great to understand that so many people feel like that that's that's how everything gets changed for sure yeah no uh, completely. I, I think that's what gives me hope is like the the changes in consumer behaviour and more more people caring about 
where they get their product from, what where the money's going, what what they're yeah, because every every time you spend some money on anything, that's a vote of what kind of product, what kind of company you want to support. Um, and I'm glad to see that people are getting more conscious of that. So definitely. Um, last question I had was um, just kind of around hiring and like growing a business. So I, I know it's it's been you and your co-founder for a good few years, and you're just starting to build out the team now. What are some of the deliberate changes you're gonna you've maybe already made or gonna have to start making as you bring like more people into the business? I guess when it's been two of you for a few years, you can get quite set in like it just works and you get used to each other, you've known each other for years. <laughs> as you bring in new people into the business, is it a case of like investing in? Yeah, really like the values of the company, being very clear on like the mission. Uh, it could be onboarding, like you know, remote working, all those little things start to come into play more. Like, have you started to think about some of those considerations? Yeah, absolutely. And we and we obviously, um, although it was just myself and my business partner for, for a good a good period of time, we 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 grew the business to execute the job in Myanmar. We had um, two employees um, come in then, um, which has subsequently sort of organically sh- shrunk again after that that project. They got on to great things, both those guys, um, and we're just recruiting again. And you know, coming from a much larger company, the company we were working for previously um you know it was sort of 40 people as a sort of a base level and um up to 80 people at sort of maximum when you when you sort of flexed on the contractors and things like that um i guess we're used very used to recruiting uh, into engineering roles um the difference here is that you know we we're probably going to be recruiting sort of commercial roles things like that as well so we've got some learning to do around that it's all stuff that we've been covering ourselves up until this point um i guess one of one of the big things is 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 diversity that 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 side of things um we we were very lucky at the previous place or and and we had you know a great we had great policies in place there for for diversity and and from a recruiting perspective um but what and and we had engineers and 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 workers from around the globe and we in fact had a big global map up in the office and flags in from where everybody was from and you know it was it was it was, it was great and um you know the good thing about the engineering community is the only thing it really cares about is quality if you're a good engineer they like you if they if you're not a good engineer <laughs> they don't and you could be from Timbuktu <laughs> or you know uh, be painted green it doesn't matter as long as you're a good engineer you're accepted and it's and that's a very good culture to be working sort of from if you set a good standpoint to be working from um, but one of the things we notice is, is of course gender in in engineering um, and um, even at the previous place we probably had two female engineers there and we just even the last, you know, the recruiting we've done for Achilles, um, you know, we just had a, a couple of job adverts out. We had not a single female engineer application in. Um, and that's something that we, you know, we, we'd love to change that. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the father of two daughters, both of whom are very practically minded. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the idea of there being so few women in engineering is a bit of a, is a, bit of a shame um, and a struggle. Uh, and it would be good to try and balance that out somehow. So, yeah, in our general thinking and our strategies for recruitment and growing the business, these things all sort of factor in. But, uh, yeah, it's all a bit, bit of a melting pot and a bit of a, bit, of, bit, of, bit of a line to navigate, I guess. Yeah, no, I think hiring's a headache for every founder when, when you get to that point. Uh, so, good luck, good luck with the hiring. Um, for for on, you. you know any of the listeners that want to follow your journey or maybe interested in in working for Aculus, like where's best to 
to follow the business on like socials where are you most active uh yeah linkedin is 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 our uh, is our main one yeah I, i'm afraid to tell you I, I, i'm a social media luddite um in general <laughs> uh pretty pretty poor in general linkedin we're on all the time so do come and link it link in with us when we always get back to people um on the messaging there um and we always accept things and then through the website as well there's a sort of uh an energy at uh, and we also use that email address all the time and scan that um so if you want to get in contact find out more yeah do do reach out to us through those through those mechanisms we're we're, we're always pretty responsive through those two spot on well look tim it's been a real pleasure like really enjoyable um i, I haven't laughed that much for a while <laughs> been a great guest so uh, thanks for coming on the show and honestly wish wish you and the team all the best thanks very much it's been an absolute pleasure my first one and uh, i've loved it brilliant okay thanks for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed it please subscribe share this episode and leave us a review we're just getting started out so it would mean a lot to us this episode was brought to you by craig turner produced by jabril al-sahimi and sponsored by jobs for good until next time